I really value the relationship that we have here on our podcast. I've never met Rena and Winston in person, yet I feel totally comfortable with the two of you. In fact, I don't even hold back my dad jokes anymore. When you get comfortable with people, you can share, right? It's like the same with our students. The more they know we care, the more they'll engage. The topic of today's podcast is taking relationships to the next level and using those relationships to impact our instruction and planning. Tech Talk for Teachers is brought to you by avid.org. With Avid, schools provide the high expectations, access, and support students need to be successful in rigorous courses. To learn more about Avid, visit their website at avid.org. Welcome to Tech Talk for Teachers, the podcast where teachers discuss how technology and teaching best practices can positively transform education to create equitable classrooms for future-ready learners. I'm Rena Clark. I'm Paul Beckerman. And I'm Winston Benjamin. We are educators. And we're here to share actionable teaching strategies you can implement into your classroom. Our quote for today is from Zaretta Hammond. She defines culturally responsive teaching as, quote, an educator's ability to recognize students' cultural displays of learning and meaning-making and respond positively and constructively with teaching moves that use cultural knowledge as a scaffold to connect what the student knows to new concepts and content in order to promote effective information processing. All the while, the educator understands the importance of being in a relationship and having a social-emotional connection to the student in order to create a safe space for learning. All right, there's a lot to unpack in there. Winston, what, what's your take? One of the things that I really like about this is everybody's always talking about build relationship, build relationships. But the thing that I really like is about the teacher moves, right? Once you know a student and you have a little bit of knowledge about the actual content area, what are the things that you're doing to help leverage or, as she puts it, scaffold connecting learning areas, right? I think those are the parts that really stand out to me is like, what are the te- what's the teacher doing? to really make something happen in the classroom. And it's very similar takeaway for me. I really zoned in on those words, relationship, connection to student, but then really using that to gather and construct knowledge to inform your instruction. So it's kind of that next step. Okay, we talk constantly about the importance of relationships, but then how do you use all of that information you gain from having a relationship from students to actually inform instruction and provide better instruction to meet the needs of those students? Exactly. And in our conversation today, we are going to try to do that. We're going to try to connect relationships to academic success. So in other words, how do we move beyond just getting to know students, as you've said, to using that knowledge to impact instructional practices. So we'll start our conversation by reflecting on actually something else that Zaretta Hammond says about the benefits of getting to know your students. She mentions the practice of using cultural knowledge and and Winston mentioned it as a scaffold to connect students to content. So what do you think she means by that? And how might that look in our classrooms? I think for me, one of the most important part is like last, a couple of last time we talked, we talked about the ideas of windows and mirrors and sliding glass doors. And I think for me, the, the part that's really important is like, how are you taking those different mirrors 
and then building on each other. Right. So as a Jamaican immigrant, what does that mean that I can connect my experience as an immigrant to the American history? Right. Of German, Scandinavian, even um, Irish and Italian coming to America and then moving west. So that gives me an opportunity to not only like personally be connected to the idea of what immigration did and how those people experienced the U.S., Right. But then also how the families were pushed and driven to different parts of the country, the push and pull factors. Right. So for me, I can see a direct one to one relationship of my own personal life and past that now makes it easier to understand the academic discourse that's going on, for for example, in the in a history class. So I think that's from that that part of like scaffolding the person's experiences to the lesson. I think that um, that really is the part that drives how I think we can do a little bit more cultural no- use of knowledge, right? Just build on those small spaces. When I think of scaffold too, I think of snaffle, scaffold as connection. Mm-hmm. It's like that glue, right? That mm-hmm. that makes you motivated to want to learn about it. It's It makes it meaningful to want mm-hmm. to learn about that. When I taught English, I always tried to connect whatever the academic topic was first to the student and then to the academic task. Like we were doing a character analysis, for instance, the first thing I had them do before they wrote a character analysis essay of a character in the book, they did one about themselves. So they had to like have an overarching statement about themselves and then have three key points to support that impression of themselves. Then once they do that, they kind of get it. And now we can go ahead and, analyze a character in a novel or a short story. And I think that cuts across content. So similarly, when we focus in on science or mathematics, maybe thinking specifically of science, (laughs) I think I've used this example before, but with like extreme weather, but you need to connect it to their own experience of extreme weather. And it could be locally, but we also have students that are immigrants and have a very different understanding of extreme weather. Like maybe because of extreme weather, that's actually why they're here. Um, But using that and not, I also think it's important we scaffold for students, but also not forcing them to be an example or like forcing them to share that experience. Like we want them, encourage them, but sometimes I feel like, like, oh, well, you have experienced a hurricane, so share that with everyone. I don't think that, I think you have to be careful around that too and know your students and make sure to teach with dignity always and show that towards your students. I also think, I like how you pointed out back to the mirrors and windows. And I know as a teacher, it's important for me to continue to find more windows. So constantly once I connect to make relationship with students or I, I actually, I love to research. So I'm like, Oh, I I don't really know anything about that. So I'm going to, now that we've talked about this, maybe it's this um, religious practice or, you know, why this is happening, or maybe I'm fasting this week and I don't, I don't really know anything about that. I'm going to go read about it, learn about it so that I have more of an understanding and window. Um, That's something I do personally. And I think students, as you said, can also do that for each other or, and we can also provide those resources. Something I appreciate that you just said is, is focusing on safety and not tokenizing student experience, right? Like, of course we get to know them one-on-one and like hear why they're here or hear the experiences, but how do we do 
engagement and pull them in the classroom in a safe way where they're not the um, expert of life as a 10 year old or 12 year old or 17 year old. I really appreciate um, thinking about student safety um, as a part of that scaffold as well. And, you know, like in the areas where, where I began my teaching career, there were so few minority students that you would be putting the pressure on one or two students in a grade. I mean, that's not fair to that, to that student. Yes, we want to hear their experience, but you cannot be asked to represent, you know, millions of people. That's not right. Right. And the thing that, and also Rena, I totally agree. And Rena, I've, Thinking about my own experience, having a teacher who would come to me and say, I learned this about your community, it would make it so much easier for me to share myself because you took the effort to find out a little bit about me. So I, um, I think that also is like to that whole idea of relationship, right? Trust is earned. And I think that's another way that we can like practice trusting and earning students' trust is by actually doing some research ourselves. So I really appreciate it that point you also made, just the, reflecting on my own past. Just to tie off what you just said there, Winston, um, we just had an interesting conversation with with some of my high school teachers. We were doing a um, growing forward activity, like how can we take what we experienced last year and try to grow forward because of it? And one of the things that came up over and over, kids would not turn on their cameras, right? They were, people were teaching to blank screens, except when they shared their pets. And why is that? Students feel connected to the teacher. They know something about them. Yeah, it wasn't about the academic content at that point. It's like, oh, you want to know something about me as a person? You want to see my pet? Well, here you go. And now it begins that connection with that teacher. And that led to more kids leaving their cameras on you know, when it became more than just a business transaction. Yeah, the, yeah, that's, that's, I even do that with my boss. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, as we've talked back to, as we've gathered a lot of information and we've talked in other episodes, all there's lots of different ways we've kind of suggested one-on-one -on -one interactions. You can do surveys. You can use Google Forms. You can have younger or older draw pictures. You can have them do a sharing circle. There's all different types of way or community circles in the morning. But once you have that information, how do we go beyond and actually use that information to inform our instruction? So how does this affect how we deliver lessons um, so do either of you, you kind of gave some, but some more examples of how we can actually use that to inform our instruction. I think for me, one, one of the things that I think is important is like knowing my students and where they might need breaks, right? Having, um, having just a little bit of a knowledge of students where I know that this student might be, might have ADHD or might just need to fidget or do something like that. So how do I like build in the activity in the lesson where students are moving? Right. That's one instructional move where I've allowed for that students to be their positionality to be valued. Right. Also, like if I'm thinking about um, leadership, if a student is vocal, right, or gets in trouble because they talk too much in the wrong time, 
How do I create an activity in that time that allows that student to use their voice to feel that they're doing it at the right time? Right. So that's one thing is like, how am I building in the lesson to where I'm thinking about the actual problem or the actual skill set of the student and then allowing a space for that to be either mitigated or um, um, supported to where that student now is participating. So that's one way I, I hope I'm get, getting to the to a little bit of where you're, where you're coming at. No, and I actually just want to add on. So what you mentioned and talked about was really this idea of like strength-based thinking around students. So what are students' strengths? And I know them better now. I know maybe more about what they're passionate around, but all students have strengths and we need to, many educators need to adjust their thinking and have that asset-based thinking and strengths, strength-based thinking as you identified. And just in your example, and I have a daughter that's like, this is super talkative. Like she's going to be an amazing leader, but you need to harness that in a way that's positive and connected to what the learning is. And, and you can do that in, even in a conversation with a student and you're like, you are so good at making connections with people and sharing your ideas. You have such a strong voice. I really think you would be great at leading this group in this and this, that you saying it that way you're going to get buy-in, they're going to get excited, and then they're going to use that strength for academic growth. Another part of that, you know, if we can find a way to make our lessons flexible enough where we can value each student's individual experience and perspective, so, so they know that matters, right? It might be a Socratic seminar where your voice matters, your questions matter, your insights matter, or it might be, you know, looking at the standards, where, where is it tight and where is it loose, right? And can we build choice into some of those loose pieces? Like in social studies, you have a standard that explores integration of visual information. Well, maybe students can draw on their personal perspectives and interests and create a historical map that shows the changes in their own personal community. So they're tying into things that are kind of about them. Or you could bring in ELA standards like, um, you know, primary and secondary sources and have students compare how secondary sources like newspapers reported on their community in relationship to how they see their community or maybe how their parents see their community or their neighbors see their community. They could interview family members and get more perspectives, but you can tie those personal experiences into the academic and it becomes so relevant and not only relevant, it's telling them that we value your perspectives in relationship to this. I think that's so important. I, I was just thinking, so I was, I got to be in a fifth grade class the other day. It was really fun. We were doing science and we were really looking at how heating and cooling things changes uh, and substances. And it, you know, there's all these white powders and it's a little bit of a disconnect for students. They're still excited because you know, there's flames and they're heating things. But I started to have a conversation with them just about, you know, what are things in your life that you can think about that maybe you've heated were cooled and they've changed. And it was, I love the answers. I mean, we got the answer of popcorn. We talked about otter pops. We talked about chicken. Someone said pancake mix. I was like, they had so many great ideas from their own personal experience. And then when they shared that with students, that actually helped so many of the other kids make that connection and the understanding of what our, you know, our essential question and without that conversation and that input from those other kids, it wouldn't have happened. If I had just said, oh, sugar gets harder, 
I got to ask you, though, what's Otter Pop? Never heard of this. See, we're expanding your knowledge around here. You don't know what an Otter Pop is, y'all? I don't. <laughs> so it's like a tube of juice, and then you put it in your freezer, and it gets hard, and it's like a popsicle that pushes out. Push up. We call them push-ups. <laughs> okay, there we go. Push-up. Well, because you push them up in the little plastic. Yeah, yeah the well. push pop has the little stick at the end. Well, the there's that too. Yeah. Ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> see, right now we're getting gaining some knowledge see, about our see, I know. That I, I, I actually love this. This is really what one of the things that I think is important. We're we're engaging in small C culture, right? This idea that ice cream, how to keep things, what you do, that that's part of your learning experience. And I think sometimes we get caught up in trying to think about culture as in you're from Afghanistan. How do I specifically help you make sense of this where you can do what you just did, Rena? You all make heat or you cool things or like, you know what happens? How does that work in your world, right? Where students are sharing and engaging with each other. I think that's a, such an important way to recognize that it's not just a big overarching like culture. It's what are the small ways that I can help you connect to this knowledge, which is which is I think also powerful. So how do we build that into instruction? I mean, how do we develop those opportunities in our classroom? Because that's the question, right? Yeah, I think I think that's a great knowledge of standards because you just described when you were talking, um, Paul, about like even thinking about social studies or ELA standards, right? Like, how do I know the standards well enough to bend and include students knowledge and information right rena you knew that's you knew science well enough to go instead of telling them sugar gets hard you could ask that question right to where you bring in voices and you're now flipping the classroom right where you flip the information where they're the sage on the stage instead of you Right. So I think that having a really deep content knowledge is really and, and standard knowledge is really important. I think having some of those instructional strategies that create room for it. Mm -hmm. So not just like turn and talk, but have some very in like we talked about before starting kind of with low stakes topics and having kids like talk back and forth. And then, you know, the rigor becomes greater. And once we've created that community, it's higher stakes. Um, and I'm thinking similar around standards. So we've kind of that SEL, we built community, but now when we get into these more complex, higher stakes standards, conversations, the students have, they feel comfort. We're back to safe. They have experience, um, whether it's a B partner talk and we have structures, maybe we have sentence stems for them to help engage in that conversation, but they still get to input their experience, how it, and we've shown them in uh, before that it matters. So I feel like they're empowered later on when the stakes are a bit higher. <laughs> I think that's important. Here's where I think technology really fits into because technology gives us opportunities to create something beyond a worksheet, beyond answering a simple question. You can create something that that takes your cognitive levels, you know, to a much higher, more cognitively, cognitively complex area where if we're doing it with other people, not only are we thinking complexly, but we are talking we are collaborating. We are problem solving together. We can insert our voice in here because there's space within the project. Maybe we're doing a newscast 
well, personalities and perspectives get brought into that. Maybe we're doing a podcast. Oh, novel idea. Maybe it comes into that, or we're writing a song as a group, or we're we're doing some kind of a video presentation. There's, there's just so much room for the diversity of ideas to kind of come out in that space. Yeah, I love that idea because you're, Paul, you're mentioning outputs as well, right? Like we've been talking about like how do you build the input, how students gain their knowledge so that they can make connections. And you're allowing for the multitude of cultural representation to be the output, right? Do, do they want to do a dance? Do they want to do something X, Y, and Z? So I appreciate um, you also mentioning the assessment side of this this game, right? Because we've all talked about instruction, but how do we recognize that students have knowledge and have learned something is also important. So we talk about flexible inputs and outputs, and you talked a lot around student, I do, we say it often, but student voice and choice as you're talking about those outputs, but by providing students, that's how you can build it in, is creating choice and options for students. And it maybe you provide some of the options, maybe they're student-created options, and then you're really getting it from the student perspective. <laughs> and it's time to ask this question, what's in your toolkit? Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. What's in the toolkit? What? What is in the toolkit? Uh, what's in the toolkit? Check it out. So in my toolkit, I was just talking about this. It's called the two by ten strategy. So talk to a student two minutes a day for 10 days straight about something other than your class or in your school. And I've done this like targeting with students. Maybe I'm having the most difficulty connecting with um, I've used. And it really changes relationships if you are intentional about creating two minutes a day. And as we talked about before, you're talking about pets, like not talking about school. I was talking to our director of teaching and learning the other day, and she actually mentioned this one. She said, this is 100% effective for her. This is the most effective strategy she's ever used in her classroom, that two by 10. So I'm glad you shared it. I think one of the things that I'm going to take away is Rena's idea of going and reading a book about somebody and building your own funds of knowledge, right? I think that that's something that I want to continue to build on so that I always have a repertoire of working and engaging and seeing students' identities. I'm going to steal another piece that Rena mentioned earlier, and she talked about voice and choice. I think we need to give choices that allow for student voices to come out. Can students select a topic that's personally relevant? Can they demonstrate their learning in a way that speaks to them? Do they have room within their responses to bring in their personal backgrounds and their personal stories and their personal relevancy? Those kinds of things will not only motivate, but they'll make the learning more meaningful. Ooh, so many things in that toolkit. Now it's time for us to reflect about this conversation and talk about what is our one thing. It's time for that one thing. One thing. One thing. It's time for that one thing. It's that one thing. My one thing is standards. If you know the standards, you can build out um, spaces for students. I would say my one thing was finding a way to allow students to bring their unique perspectives and backgrounds 
into a valuable contribution to the learning. Like we're valuing it and it helps to enhance and advance the learning. Rena, you can have a one thing. I, I mean, it's kind of a big one thing. It's kind of the whole conversation is relationships matter, but if you don't use that information to inform your instruction, then, you know, it's not really helping as much as it could. <laughs> so you, I think the one thing is use that information, use that relationship building to actually inform and change instruction and empower your classroom and your students. Right. And I really value the relationship that we have here on our podcast. I feel like, you know, we've never actually met each other in person. Well, Rena and Winston have, but I've never met Rena and Winston in person. Yet, I feel totally comfortable with the two of you. In fact, I don't even hold back my dad jokes anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Say, how does NASA throw a party? I don't know. They plan it. (laughs) And, And how does the moon cut his hair? Eclipse it. (laughs) Anyway, when you get comfortable with people, you can share, right? It's like the same with our students. The the more we know them, the more more they know we care, the more they'll engage the whole thing. It's like a, a quote I heard from Steve Spangler. I don't know if you know Steve Spangler. He's like a science teaching guru. But he said at a personalized learning conference, he said, once you hit the heart, they'll follow you through fire. That was the coolest quote because it really speaks to the relationship piece leading to motivation. And um, really want to challenge all of our listeners out there to reach out and get to know your students and find ways to integrate that into the academics of your classroom because we can accelerate learning through relationships. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk for Teachers. We invite you to visit us at avidopenaccess.org where you can discover resources to support student agency, equity, and academic tenacity to create a classroom for future-ready learners. We'll be back here next Wednesday for a fresh episode of Tech Talk for Teachers. And remember, go forth and be awesome. Thank you for all you do. You make a difference.